Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Real quick announcement I wanted to make before today's episode. We are super excited because we just released six new financial modeling training courses on Wall Street Oasis. You can check it out on the homepage, wallstreetoasis.com or wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Um, we're super excited because it includes Excel modeling, valuation modeling, DCF, LBO, M&A, financial statement modeling, basically anything you will need to master financial modeling and hit the ground running day one. Definitely don't wait to check it out because there is an early access discount going on right now. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey. And this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Daniel shares his long and winding path in finance careers. Initially getting his undergrad degree, a CPA, and a master's in finance in France, he moved to the U.S. with Deloitte in their restructuring practice. From there, he used an MBA from NYU Stern to jump into investment banking at Lehman Brothers, starting as an associate with three young kids. We learn how he was able to make the jump into real estate private equity fund and what happened four years later during the great financial crisis. Listen to hear some wise advice on how to survive many twists and turns. Enjoy. All right, Daniel, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. You're welcome. Nice to, uh, nice to be here. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Sure. Um, uh, Daniel Rubin, I'm French originally, can't hide my accent. Uh, I've been in the States for uh, more than 20 years. Uh, I have a background. I've, I've worn many hats in my career and uh, my life, but I've been a consultant. I've been an investment banker, a private equity guy. Uh, and now I have my own investment firm. Great. So let's start all the way back when I assume yeah. you, you got your undergrad degree. Was it in, uh, in France? In, in France. Yeah. I got my undergrad in France and, uh, have a CPA background. Uh, thought C- I would be CPA. 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 Yeah. Okay. So yeah. when you were, when you were an undergrad thinking of your long career ahead of you that you had yet to embark on, how much was it? I'm going to go into accounting. Um, because of what your parents were telling you? How much was it because you just loved accounting and loved finance? Or tell me how much of it was like. Yeah. Yeah. So surprisingly, I loved accounting and I, I still love accounting. I think it's, it's uh, when, when you are in a line of business, if you don't understand accounting and journal entries, you can't read the balance sheet, the PNL, uh, it's very difficult to make a deal work. Um, so I, I, I still believe it's like it's, it's the basics that everyone should have. Now, when I started my career, uh, it was a long time ago and not so long, but it was the 90s. And surprisingly, when I tell that to my kids, you know, there was no really internet there and, and back then. And I didn't know anything, you know, back in France, in Paris, I didn't know much about finance, investment banking, private equity. And, and, and to show you how much I didn't know about it was when I got my, I got a master's degree in France and one here, I got my MBA in, in, uh, in the US. But when I got my master's degree, uh, I got two summer internships, one in private equity and one in investment banking. And literally, not only I didn't know the difference between the two, but like I wasn't that impressed. I happened to, work to I chose the private equity one, but more just because, you know, I knew the bank and, you know, it was BNP Paribas and sounded cool and the location was great. And, I went there, but uh, when I was done with my yeah, tell me a little bit about why you so you were in, you were actually a manager at Deloitte for a while, right? Yeah. But tell me a little bit about what prompted you to go get the MBA in the U.S. Yeah. So 
once I was done with that, with, with that internship, I, for me, it was all about going into accounting and audit. So I went to Deloitte in audit. And after a couple of years, I realized it was a mistake and I didn't like it. I mean, not a mistake. You learn a lot and it's, it, it's, it's really good. It's, was it's it good just basic. too like rote? You were just doing the same thing? Yeah, after a few years, you just felt you like... You do the same thing, same thing uh, over yeah. and over again. But again, same thing. You learn how to read financial statements. You learn how to spot mistakes, fraud, and this sort of thing. So, Did you learn very, more from working or from the CPA designation? Uh, from working. Always from working, you know, yeah. nothing beats experience. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but then after a couple of years, I, I wanted to do something different. And I went into, within Deloitte, within, to do restructuring and turn around and either advising distressed companies mm -hmm. or the creditors of distressed companies. And that was great. And when I did that, I did that for three years. And in between, this is when I wanted to move to, to, to the United States. I didn't want to stay in Europe. I wanted to build my career in the U.S., uh, and so I moved with Deloitte. Uh, I moved to New York right here in 2000, one year before the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the internet bubble. Mm -hmm. And I worked in, in restructuring, helping distressed companies. Now, after a couple of years, tell you the truth, it was kind of depressing. I mean, all my friends were working in startup and internet companies and thinking about growth and, and how, you know, like you could become you, you, should, you were in restructuring from 99 to 2002. I was in restructuring yes. from 2002 to 2004. You should have done it in reverse after the bubble should, burst. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. A lot more exactly. business. And in, two, you know, 2001, 2002, even if, you know, like, unfortunately, we got some, some business after September 11 and there was like a spike already, but yeah. it was, it's just, it was depressing going into depressing. companies and yeah. firing people and, and shutting down um, uh, facilities and it, it, it just, you know, I wanted, so as I was doing deals and I was working, I realized that there was this world of investment banking and private equity. And when I was dealing with these guys, I was like, that's where I want to be. The, I should be on the other side of the table. I shouldn't be where I sit. So doing some research, I said, okay, you know what? I'm a French guy. I may have a good diploma in France and a good, and, and, and a good uh, pedigree, so to speak, but you had a master's. Here in the US. Yeah, you had a master's. Uh, yeah, I had a bachelor and a master. Already. Uh, master's in, in financial, already, in financial yeah. engineering. But I knew I was no one, you know, if I didn't have uh, like you know, some sort of like stamp of approval. So yeah. uh, applied to business school, uh, got into NYU Stern uh, full time. So I left Deloitte, worked two years there. And my goal was to do did the- you, Did you have um, money saved up? How did you pay for that? Because I know Stern's not cheap and you're living in the city. It, yeah, very expensive. With a lot of uh, debt? Did you take on some debt or you just, yeah. your family three, helped three, you? Uh, you know, it's four semesters, three semesters, uh, two semesters student debt, one semester my, my father, yeah. and one semester my wife paid for it. She was still working. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, so that it was, was split, good. It was split up. Okay, so it was, Tom, it was do, do you feel like it was worth it because you came out and you got that banking job? Yeah, so, so I definitely worth it because my goal was, okay, I need to work in investment banking. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only way to do it is to get my MBA. Now, when you start in business school, uh, for you know, your audience, the people who want to get into an MBA, it's two-year program. But if you want to go into banking, the first three months are the most intense. Why? Because you, know, you start you know, new life classes. You have to go back to school and do your homework. Mm -hmm. But this is when recruiting happens. And you have so many... I mean, that was back in 2002. So I assume it's still the same thing, but so many cocktail parties and, and, and invitational and interviews. And it's for three months, it's nonstop. I mean, at the end of three months, I had a stack of business card, like big like this. And it was, uh, you know, you meet a lot of, of people. Now it was worth it because when it came for interview, you know, you, it's like who makes it to the closest or not. Uh, I was who, makes it to the, who makes it to the what or not? The close list. So the, you have a close oh, the, list. A close list. Okay. Where, yeah, each bank says, you know, I'm going to, these are the 10 students I will interview for the internship. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you need to be on, on and, and they, they interview only like 10 or 15 students. Now you want to be in as many banks, close list as possible. Yeah. Uh, I made it 11 out of 12 banks. Pretty so good. that was pretty good. The only bank that didn't, uh, I didn't get on the list was Goldman Sachs. Was there a disadvantage? Was <laughs> was there a disadvantage to um, coming from France, or do you think an advantage in terms of like 
accent, it's not, yeah. international exposure, did you feel like it helped you stand out a little bit? Yeah, it helps you. It helps you because, you know, how many Americans you have out there that went to Ivy League and, and uh, they already did like a, a two-year analyst into a birch bracket or a small bank. Here, like you bring something different, right? Mm-hmm. I could say, listen, I have exposure to the European market. I have exposure like I was a restructuring guy. So I had exposure to distressed companies or anything that you, you know, makes a difference always helps. Well, you, and plus the CPA background, plus the, restru- and, the CPA background, and the restructuring, exactly. you could really lean on. Like, I understand complex capital structures. That's, I'm not coming from like, yeah, I'm not coming from a, a pre MBA banking background, but I might as well be. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so, so, so it helps. So, uh, I ended up at uh, Lehman Brothers. Tell me why you chose Lehman. Is it the only offer you got, or what, did you have several offers, and why did you choose? Uh, no, no, I, I, I got others, but the. Um, when you're in, when you look at all these banks, the what you look at at the end of the day, because uh, you know they are, it's all, almost the same thing. You you do the same type of pitch book, and so what we used to say in, in business school is you look at the uh, asshole ratio and how many <laughs> assholes there are in the bank and how miserable your life would be or not. Yeah, and literally, the two best banks back then and now you know Lehman is gone, but was in terms of the lowest asset ratio was Lehman Brothers and Goldman Sachs. And these were the banks where uh, you could see that, you know, people were important. And it wasn't just about, you were not, if you know the, the, the book, uh, Monkey Business, that every MBA student that's has what Wall Street. That's why Wall Street Oasis is all about monkeys. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I read, <laughs> I read that book. And yeah. when I read that book, I was like, holy crap, what did I get myself into? You know, like, it, do right. I really want to do that? And, and, and literally when you, these two banks, it was, and for, for me, you know, like I had a radio family. When I started in banking, I had a wife and I had three kids as oh an associate. God. You had so, three kids? How old? Three kids. When you started? Uh, young, below, like uh, uh, my, uh, I had twin boys that were four months old. They were oh born just before God. I graduated from school. And one kid who was two years old. So I have, imagine I have, a, you know, I have you, a four, two, and a one-year-old. So I kind of a little bit get so, in what you're into. So you, you <laughs> Horrible. But now you know when you work in banking and you come back at five a.m. or six a.m. and you have to be back to the, in the office at nine a.m. and you have two choices: either you go to bed for an hour, or you don't sleep and you know at least you can enjoy your kid for one hour before taking a shower and going back to the office. You know these are the type of things that you have to start thinking about when you have a family and you do banking. But look. I did it. I don't regret it. Uh, but so the, you were talking about the asshole factor uh, ratio was pretty good at Lehman and at, at Goldman. Yeah. Was this a scientific thing or just based on your, co- your cocktail chats, like you personally thought that, or it was pretty well known or, around it, it, it was this NYU. It's, it's, yeah. It was not only it was well known, but you could feel it. You, when you had a cocktail party with Lehman guys and, and women or Goldman Sachs, they were, you know, normal people. You, you, could, you could have a good discussion. It wasn't just about, I'm going to show you, like, it's, it's not about ego, right? And I could show you how smart I am and how, work, how hard I work. And, and mm-hmm. it, it was, uh, you know, you could see that you could become friends with, with more people. Human. And that's more, more human. human. And, yeah. and that's what you want to do. Because remember, when you go into banking, you have your three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the office. Uh, this becomes your second family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have, to, uh, you have to like the people you... And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's important. So I don't want to talk negatively into... No, no, no. I, mean, I, I, get, banks, I get the idea, right? but you, so, you were most attracted to those banks because of the, the way you felt in terms of how they interacted with you, how human they seemed, how there was outside interest outside of banking. They, no, the egos seemed to be a little bit more under control. I get it. Exa- exactly. But you still had three kids and you started there. Were you yes. coming home at 5 a.m. and then kind of spending one hour with your kid and going back to the office? It happened a few times, quite more than a few times, but Jeez. it's what it is. The- two years and you did it for two years. I did for two years. You know, most you of the time, bo- I, would, I hope I you would... got two bonuses. Did you get two bonuses? Yeah, I, that's, that's what I have. That's why. Two bonuses. <laughs> that's why. But, uh, you know, most of the time, I would come, I would come uh, uh, around midnight, not, not 5 a.m. You know, yeah. that would be the, the, 
you know, the worst I did was um, something like 50 or 55 hours, no sleep, nothing. Straight, right? yeah. Straight. That's horrible. Uh, I did 40. That, that's hor- I thought that was bad. <laughs> yes. And, 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 but, you know, with the adrenaline, you don't feel it. Uh, yeah. that, that's the thing. But uh, what I learned, uh, something, you know, I don't regret at all because first two years in banking, it's four years in any other industries. Mm-hmm. And you work with very super smart people. And that was what, that's what was impressive. Like you, you know, you would sit down with, my, I would sit down with my MT and there would be top notch, like in terms of technical analysis, like, you know, like finance was still, uh, even at 45, 50, 55, they would know everything about that. I just learned in business school. They would look at my model and in five seconds, maybe four, they will spot the errors. Like they would, they were very, very sharp. And so uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a great community family to be part of and you learn a lot. And you but, were busy, 04 to 06, a lot of yes, M&A going on, right? A lot of LBO. Uh, I was in the industrial M&A group. Yeah. So our clients were KKR, Blackstone, you know, they, they were doing all these big deals. Um, but so, when I went into banking, it was always with the idea of eventually going to private equity. And did you feel like... I'm trying to think back then, was it very standard back then where it was very hard to break into private equity as a post MBA associate? Was that difficult back then as well? Or a little bit, a little yes. bit easier? No, it, 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 I, well, the, the problem is like, I don't know how difficult or easy it is. It's almost now, impossible. Can, it's almost impossible. Okay. To, without <laughs> pre MBA private equity experience right now, it's ext- I've interviewed two people out of 130 guests or so, or 120 guests that I've spoken yeah. with. And I've, I think only two, and even those two surprised me. And when I hear the stories of how they got in, I, they basically didn't stop until they got in. Exactly. Yeah. Look, look, and I'll tell you how I got in. But yeah. uh, yes, back then, the, the, the problem is your competition, right? So uh, I, got, uh, I got to Stern where someone went to Harvard. I went to Goldman Sachs where someone went to Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pre-MBA, I went into... Deloitte consulting where someone was at McKinsey. You know, there's always someone that can top you. That makes it very difficult, right? It's, mm-hmm. There are not that many jobs, especially uh, if you want to stay like in New York City. So, you know, there's location and there is the industry. So it's, it was very difficult to break in. And, uh, you know, being a banker, it's like, you know how they say like uh, uh, every U.S. senators, you know, they are senator, but really their dream is to become president. Well, every bankers, they wouldn't say it, but their dream is to go on the other side and, and, be, and be on the buy side and be in private equity. So you have this competition, yet people you have to fight with, so, so to speak. And to get into private equity, I, I contacted a lot of people and sent my resume and, and, and I had some connection, but still, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's very difficult and you have to, at the end of the day, you have to be lucky. But when did, uh, when did you start? So like you knew your, that banking was a, and like, you know, help you pay back your loans. Um, but you, yeah. you know, you sacrificed a lot because you had three young kids then. So yes. tell me a little bit about um, when you started looking, was it in that second year or did you, right when you had the job, did you immediately start building that network? Tell me about how you kind of laid the foundation to make that jump. Yeah. So when I started at Lehman Brothers, it was always in the back of my mind, right? So mm-hmm. when we, when I started, you do like a rotational program. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the, 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 the group that will t- allow me, that, that we, where I will have the highest probability to get into private equity mm-hmm. was industrials M&A. Why? Because industri- you know, a lot of private equity acquires industrial companies, mature companies, stable cash flow, easy to do an LBO on, right? If I had chosen... Uh, I don't know, uh, technology, communication, maybe if you want to go into VC, but more difficult if you, uh, if you want to be in private equity. So my goal from the beginning was I need to get into that group. I, it was a lot of politics. That's interesting because I wouldn't think industrials is like the top is it's typically not the most sought after group, but it's a good point. Industrial, you know, typically has a lot of leverage. A lot of leverage. It's if you, at least back in the day, right? In 2004, yeah. uh, in industrial m like this is, this is where we're doing all the, the largest LBO. And you yeah. see the, uh, the, what we're pitching to KKR and Blackstone where you know, like, you know, this was the, 
back then, you know, we were pitching like 20, 30, 40 billion dollar IBO. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore and maybe it will come back. But, but uh, uh, that was the group. It was well known. It was called Industrial M&A, but our clients were not GE or Tyco. It was only PE shops. That, PE that's, Got it. PE shops. That, that. So I need to get into that group. I worked hard, did a lot of politics, smoothing, you know, in, inside Lehman to be in that rotational group. And once I was in that rotational group, and remember, there are only 10 people out of the entire class, every school, right, so at Lehman that would get into that group, then perform well. And again, it's all about, uh, you know, making a name for yourself and, and making the right connection. And, How do you and, do that? Besides, besides good work, error-free work, working hard, working late, is there anything else you're doing in terms of like trying to be cat, you know, trying to make that personal connection with those senior bankers on your team? Well, first, you have to be yourself, right? They will spot if you, if you try or to fake. be someone, you, so, yeah. Yeah, someone you're not. And what I did was, Find the person that's influential, influential, and that you know will have like a say, uh, or could talk on your behalf, and basically show him, you know what, I'll be your wingman, like literally, I I won't let you down. I'll do whatever it takes, mm-hmm. and uh, no complaint. And you'll have always like an A plus plus job. I will make your life easier. So mm-hmm. finding the right guy or woman and showing them that you will make their life easier. Um, showing them though, not telling them. Exactly. So, and it's what, what, it's what you do during the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the rotational program. And that's, you know, that's what I did. Uh, that's only like a I week got, or two, right? It's one month. So it's, oh, it's one month. Okay. So you had some time. It's one month. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you have some, well, but it goes very fast also. <laughs> Four weeks. It's, uh, nothing. you know, you, it's nothing, you know, you learn about a new industry. You know. So I had, um, uh, I forgot, I had the consumer retail, industrial, and uh, uh, communication. These were my, the, the three groups. Got it. And, you know, I was able to get into, uh, uh, into industrial MA. And then when I got into, so from the beginning, I knew, okay, that's what I, I'm going to stay there. Yeah. A year and a half, two years. And basically, by the end of, of my first year of Associate One, this is when I have to start looking for a job. And um, so, send a lot of resumes talk to a lot of people. This is where you play the NYU Stern card, uh, having, uh, you know, you go back to that network and uh, in, in business school and, and trying to, to find the opportunity. But again, it was very difficult. I, I, I don't know, I talked to easily 100 people, some 200 resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one day, and that's always the way it happens, yeah. I get a call from a, an email from someone and the person says, hey, I got your resume from so-and-so. Uh, at that time, uh, the person was the head of real estate at Warburg Pincus. Warburg Pincus, you know, large buy-at shop. Yeah, yeah no worries. The guy was uh, retiring from Warburg, or thought he was going to retire, decided to set up his own PE shop. And he said, listen, uh, I thought I was going to retire. I got your resume six months ago. I decided to raise a fund. I and start up on my own. I have hundred million dollars, and I just need a guy to help me do this. It's just me and the secretary, and I need another guy. You a CPA, you MBN, why you am MBN, why you you went to Lehman Brothers. I know you. You can do the job. You know, build models, whatever. So, are you interested? And I told him, uh, you, know, you know, of course, but you have to know something. Like, I know nothing about real estate. I mean, besides the fact that I bought my own place i own my apartment yeah. <laughs> in, in hoboken new jersey yeah you know like i didn't specialize in real estate and he said like listen don't, don't worry you i teach you the industry like on the ground you know like th- that's not an issue like yeah. as as long as i know you have the basics in finance and accounting and and so forth i can teach you the the job and amazing. i jump yeah and i jump on the now my was, that, was there a pay, what, was there a pay cut with that jump because i know back in the yes. back with Lehman, yeah, the course, base yeah. is probably like close to 100,000 or 120 even back then. Uh, yeah, yeah my ba- uh, I think my basis was 130 or 120. 130, yeah, the around bonus there. Was, yeah, the, the, the bonus, bonus was, can be uh, a lot big, more. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it was at that time, it was probably like 200. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yes, you take a pay cut to go into private equity, but I had negotiated you know, some points on the carry of the first fund. So 
If we do well, I'm actually going to do much better. Can you but tell me how you did the calculation on that? I mean, it's a $100 million fund, so you do the math, right? Um, yeah. In terms of how you negotiated, was it based on that fund size and trying to figure out, okay, well, if it does decently well, it's going to make up in a little bit better than what I would be if I stayed in banking? Or you knew you wanted to get out of banking anyway, so it's like you're willing to take No, I, I knew I wanted to, to be out of banking. Yeah. Uh, I know that in life, yeah, you know, you, you, you plan for a job, but you never know what happens in life. So, so you know, it's, yeah, long term it's important, but it's, it's really, uh, you know, the type of, of, of position and what you're going to learn. Uh, if the money comes, like it was less important the money, right? It was, I'm breaking into private equity. That's a yeah. big deal, right? So that was important. In yeah. terms of negotiation, it was easy. There was no negotiation. He put the, like a real term sheet in front of me and I forgot, I think I had, uh, I think, I think I had 2% of, of the 20. That was, so it was, it seemed like two, two percentage of the 20% uh, upside. Yeah, so so 10, yeah. really 10, but 10%. 10% of the upside, 10% well, of the I mean, carry. Yeah, yeah, 10% of the, no, two out of 20, uh, um, so it, uh, not half of, when you say 10% of the carry, it's like, if it's a 20% carry, it would be like, I mean, like a half, 50%. No, 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 I meant 10% of the 20. Uh, of yes. the, I know what you mean, so two, 2% total two, yeah, of 2%. the upside. So, yeah. so it, it, it wasn't that much, but you know what, it, it didn't matter. For, like it was about, uh, look, I, the way I saw it is I'm going to work directly for someone who was the head of real estate at Warburg Pincus mm-hmm. for 25 years, who himself learned the business from Lionel Pincus. So I got several times a lot of, of wisdom thought, you know, like one Buffett when he says something and you <laughs> write it down. So my boss would tell me a lot of stuff like this that were, that Lionel Pincus taught him. And this is priceless, right? So, yeah. so for me, it was more important than what I was going to say before. It's you know, when I left, my parents thought I was crazy. And they were like, I understand, you're working for Lehman Brothers. That's, that's your dream, you know, like a huge bang. And in, you know, on Wall Street, you know, we were like the kings and you're going to work for a guy, you know, like in a small office and it's why? And I said like, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Not because I thought that Lehman was going down, but because yeah. it was the beginning of something. Uh, so uh, went into private equity real estate. And again, this is not what I necessarily wanted to do, but it was something. And here it was very interesting. And, and you understand why it's difficult to uh, uh, break into private equity. Because when I started, I had to be completely retrained. And like my, so one of the saying that, that my boss used to say, and he said like, in investment, a banker, difference between an investment banker and a private equity professional is the banker finds any reason to do a deal because you know, he's based on commission. A private equity guy finds every reason not to do a deal. And if he can't find any, then he knows he has a good deal. So when I started to look at deals, you know, and I was, I, I was doing the underwriting, you could see I was thinking like as a banker. Yeah, this is great because this and that and, you know, and ex- multiple expansion and revenue growth and whatever. And he would shut down a deal in two seconds. And yeah, you can shut down a deal in two seconds. So it's about learning not to do a deal, mm-hmm. basically. And, and finding the... Having discipline. Where are the yeah. issues. Yeah. And, and, you know, protecting the downside, basically, right? Where in, in banking, you don't have downside. As soon as you do the deal, you get your commission and you move on. We, we are just salesmen. We are a broker when you're an investment bank. Uh, investment right. banker. That's what we are. So uh, how long did it take you to make that transition where you started looking more critically and you started getting kind of more, what, was there any conflict? Was there any, like the first year, was it really tough and he was upset with you or was the relationship, did it stay strong throughout? Yeah, it's, it, it stays strong throughout because he mm-hmm. knew, look, he was, uh, he needed you. He knew what he was, <laughs> he, and he knew what he was getting into. Yeah, yeah, hire someone from from Warburg Pinkies or another particular shop. He hire a banker. Uh, I, I would say. Why do you think he did that? Why Why uh, you? Why not yeah. hire a kid? Pull a kid out from Warburg in his real estate group. I I asked myself that question, and uh, you know we should ask him the question. But I think it's look when you're at Warburg Pinkies, like, do you want to take the risk to go into a small shop? And start again when Makes you sense. you made okay. it. You know you're in a ten billion dollar shop. Yeah, so yeah. I don't think he could get someone. Then maybe there is like a non solicitation and non compete. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's that's difficult. 
um, getting another, someone from another PE shop, then uh, the problem is like the mold has been made, right? So at least he could shape me as an investor the way he wanted me to, to, to think. And I'm grateful because I like the way he thought and the way I, I learned to be an investor and, and I wouldn't. And you were there for four, you were there for four years. It was a good run. So yeah. Um, tell me how that evolved, why leave when you did um, and all that and what the, what the next step was and how you looked at that. So the fund was not doing well. Uh, we invested in uh, top of the crisis, 708, 2007, 2008, 2009. Horrible, now, horrible vintage. Yep. Okay. Horrible for, vintage. For a real now, estate fund. <laughs> Yeah, for a real estate fund. Now, when we, by, back in 2010, we had only invested 50% of the fund. So that was the good news. The bad news, we had invested 50% of the fund. So at some point, like he couldn't, uh, like, like too much fixed costs. I, and I was getting more and more expensive. So we separated in good terms, by the way, because he said, listen, I pay you, you know, you don't have to work anymore for me. I'll pay you until you find another job. Just, you know, find another job. And so back then in 2010, I thought, you know, I'll find another job in private equity easily. Right now I have four years of experience, two years of banking, MBA. Uh, for me, I've thought even better that, you know, that we separate in ourselves. Well, forget it. It's even then. 2010 was tough difficult. though. Yeah, 2010 wasn't a full recovery yet. It was a slow. It wasn't a full long. recovery. Yeah. And, you know, it was, uh, so I made it close to, with very good firms, like close to the final round. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I couldn't find a job. So in private equity. So then I, I saw this new boutique investment bank mm -hmm. that was started by a former Lehman Brothers guys, focused solely in real estate. And ah. I said, you know what? I give the guy a call. I gave him a call. Within a couple of weeks, he hired me. You know, he was starting investment bank and I was back in banking. I was miserable, right? Now I'm back in banking. Now, yeah. It's a bit different. Miserable because the, the lifestyle went back to what you were like at Lehman. Like it, did, it was exactly like it was before since he had been at Lehman. No, because now I was like a, like a VP, senior VP. So it, and, and it was a boutique shop. But because I learned to, and again, nothing against, I have a lot of friends in investment banking, but I learned to despise the investment banking and the investment banker right? And, and, and the industry and the way they think and how it's all about trying to get their fees and, and all the BS that we put in, in a presentation just to, you know, throwing hundreds of ideas and ho hoping that one would stick. Like we were not, uh, everything that I learned and I was happy I learned, like I was scared of losing it, you know, the, this mindset. Uh, and that was my worry. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. why I, I was miserable. At the same time, you know, uh, great guy and he had a lot of connection and I worked on, on very good deals and, and, uh, as, and some aspect of the real estate industry that I haven't seen at, at the previous job. So uh, it, was, uh, it was something good. But um, here it was small firm uh, backed by two, one very large firm and another small investment bank. At the end of the day, the firm just shut down after a year and a half. So it was good a year and a half, but it shut down. And then now I'm, you know, summer of 2011. And that's life, by the way, you know, like there will be a lot of ups and downs in life and you learn that. And it's actually good because it's, it's, uh, you try to reinvent yourself or think at, outside of the box. And it and forces you to kind of like, you can't become kind of a passive observer in your own life. It forces you to like, oh man, like you have to actually take, take hold. Whereas oftentimes if you're getting paid well, you're in a decent spot. You can get you're stuff. in cruise control, you know, and yeah. you're, but and and it's fine until it's not. Mm -hmm. And then when it's not, if something happens, and you know, I see people, you know, getting fired. They are, you know, like forty-five. They do the same job for for fifteen years. Then you have a prime, a real prime. Here, being an entrepreneur, I think it's it's and 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 being sometimes like you know, seeing of everything, right? Having a job, being well paid. Uh, being unemployed, seeing what it is, you know, what you have to do. And mm -hmm. so sometimes it's being an entrepreneur to, to uh, uh, find stuff. That's important. And so this is what I did. So back in 2011, I thought, uh, look, I worked in banking. I worked in private equity. Uh, 
CPA background, I have two master's degree. Uh, yeah, why, you know, like I'm in my mid thirties back then, uh, maybe I should strike on my own, try something. So I try a few things, uh, uh, small advisory boutique, advisory slash investment banking, working mm-hmm. on this and but but then it's this is you know you you go through your rolodex and contacts and and you work on this and you know at some point uh i had a pipeline of deals where we, for we, i remember it was like two me two or three million dollars of potential fees i could make now in investment banking or you know it's it can be anywhere between zero and three million dollars right like you, you maybe none of these will, would happen but to show you like the type of these like uh, i was working on this in the hundred of million of dollars and it was just a one-man show but but i had enough experience gray hair also and and mm-hmm. and uh, contact to make it work and so i like that you know and and so i work on on on, on few transactions um, yeah, I see I here you tr- did 300 million in transactions under your, is that your own thing, CW? So, no, so CW, so the, mm-hmm. th- that was part of one of the things. So for instance, I approached CW uh, uh, Capital was, uh, or still, maybe probably still, the second largest special servicer in the United States. Okay. And I went to the CEO, which I knew, and I said, listen, you have a great business, a cash cow, right? It's, it's, uh, the, the, the world, it's like we, 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 we're dealing with all the, uh, the post-crisis. But it's not going to be this way forever. And you, you're sitting on a melting iceberg, right? So we, you need to start thinking about the future and what to do and, and how to uh, 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 diversify your, your revenue stream. Yeah. And I became like senior advisor, senior investor, they did not have a guy like me. And they said, okay, you know, like we'll hire you for six months as an investment banker and help us. And I look at opportunities and at the end we did three deals. We uh, sold two companies and we acquired one mm-hmm. and, you know, helping reshape the company. And the company was owned by Fortress. So I was dealing directly with, I was working for the CEO and the board and, and Fortress. Uh, but that type of thing that- Were you paid uh, well for that time? Own. For that less than a year, were you paid a couple hundred thousand dollars for that, that work that you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even more than that. Yeah, yeah. I was paid okay. well. Because, okay, you know, I, I, I sold it like this. I said, listen, it's, you'll be making, you'll save money yeah. by uh, not hiring a bank. You have your own investment banker. Yeah. I can do this sort of thing. Not, you know, they had to trust me and, and yeah. it's good that they, they, they trusted me. Yeah. Uh, 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 give me my, a shot. But I showed them, you know, like, and, and they were pleased and they showed them uh, how to think differently. So the CEO also, like, you know, it was good for him to have someone that was smart in quote, uh, helping him in, in the office vis-a-vis the board of director, right? And uh, knowing that the board of director, you know, it was a bunch of fortress guy, you know, like uh, intense, this, uh, intense uh, high testosterone hedge fund guy, you know, like in the board. So, so he needs, needs someone like me. So I did that. Um, and, and then uh, at some point decided to, not decided, I got this opportunity to join, to go back into practically uh, real estate and to join a practically real estate firm uh, as the number two guy. Uh, so there I was the COO, CFO. So that, that was good because uh, I was looking at all the operation um, and I was, uh, uh, you know, managing the, the company. So being like finance or HR or audit or IT. What was that? That was, a, that was a private equity VC kind of fund or real estate? Yeah, private equity fund, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we, How much capital? Investment money. We, we were managing uh, a little bit over $200 million with co-investment money. Okay. Uh, and working purely on real estate projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, and on top of that, of being what I was doing, I was the investment guy because uh, there was just like uh, one analyst uh, at the company. So I was literally the anything but the CEO. Uh, uh, so working very, very hard. But uh, great experience. Uh, how to run a firm? How to do this that I hadn't done in my private prior practical experience? Because uh, mm-hmm. uh, we are a practical firm, but also a little bit an operator. So, uh, for instance, we were co-developer in a, on a high-end luxury real estate project in, in Soho. Mm-hmm. So, learn a lot about this 
every every position you're going to learn something and, and that that's the that's the great thing uh, and then around 2017 everything is going well but i'm thinking you know what you reach a point in your life where without being um, you know condescendent or, or or too modest you feel that no one can teach you anything anymore that you know you have everything you need to strike on your own that I could work for someone else to, uh, and I make good money and, and, you know, like maybe have something good, but I didn't feel that I could, I was more on the other side, right? Where I can teach someone, you know, people yeah. something, but like I couldn't learn that much from other people. You, you, you can always learn, you know, don't get me wrong, but you reach a level where I said, maybe it's time to strike on my own. And I had a friend who, a good friend of mine who was in hedge fund you know, trader 15 years at Goldman Sachs and in a hedge fund. And we were thinking the same thing. And we said, you know what? Let's do it. Let's start our own uh, investment firm. Uh, and also, this is the thing. With maturity, you learn that that's okay if you're not in like a specific box, right? So what I mean by that is 15 years ago, my when I started at Akima, my only goal was to work in a pure private equity shop. You would tell me work in a VC firm? No. Private credit? No. Uh, work in real estate? No. Like I didn't want all this stuff. I wanted the pure LBO shop for me. That was private equity and that's it. And yeah. anything other than that, I would be miserable. I never, I, I did that a little bit, but not like really in, uh, in a firm. And when I started my own firm, like I didn't want to do pure private equity. I wasn't that, I wasn't interested in that. And you know, you learn to, You've seen different things in your life, and then you start thinking like, what do you want to do? And I decided to focus on on private credit. And the reason I did that was looking at everything I've done and learned in my life. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the risk reward ratio, and and where risk reward slash if you brain damage, if you look in three D, and yeah. where I want to be. Um, and look. If you're in the hedge fund world, because we thought yeah, maybe we can start a hedge fund, uh, uh, you know, we could you know, be an activist or invest in real estate companies or you know, to leverage what I did. But in the hedge fund world, if you make 5%, you're top quarter and, and you're very lucky and so forget it. Private equity, okay, it's good. Uh, but you, to be on top quarter, you're going mean, to make 15, 20%. Uh, and you know a lot of work to to get there. Uh, when you're on the like real estate developer, for instance, you can make 30, 35 percent. A lot of brain damage. You can lose a lot of money. But then we look at private private credit, and we saw that you know in private credit, I can make 15 percent with much less risk because I'm on first position or sometimes second. Less brain damage because I don't actually have to do the work. You know, some you know, I'm back with operator, and I was like. That's what I want to be. You know, it's it's. Uh, if you make fifteen percent, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, yeah. And 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 yeah, private equity firm. You know, they work hard to. Yeah, you know, we have our vintage was eighteen percent. Okay, but look, the amount of work you had to do to get there. When you know, like uh, I let someone else do the work for for fifteen percent. So this is how we decided to do private equity. Something that again, I would never have thought even five years ago that I would do. So tell, and, talk to, uh, tell me about like when you say private credit specifically, how you even source those opportunities, like how do you even, I know you had a Rolodex at this point and you knew a lot of people in the real estate industry. So when people were looking for a check to yes. fund specific developments, like you just said, Hey, we have this shop now and Hey, we have up to, you know, whatever it is, 30 million, $50 million to put to work. Or how did you, how did you do it? Or I have, or, or like you served more as like, capital introduction where you knew enough people and you were co-investing alongside how did it, how do you even think about setting up a shop like this and yeah so so it's it's again it's a lot of of luck and faith sometimes and <laughs> to start so we okay with two guys we have Rodex, we have pedigree you know, you know again my partner was 15 years at goldman sachs just saying that it doesn't matter what you what he did and you know he was an md and a trader but yeah. when people say 15 years at goldman sachs it's like oh wow you know uh, and again, it doesn't matter what you did, but it's Goldman Sachs, you know, it's a lot of big cachet. But so we, we thought, yeah, if we start like we do something like in real estate, well, the truth of the matter is it's great, uh, but 
there are so many firms out there doing that. So how are we going to differentiate ourselves? So we mm -hmm. said, we need to find something unique that to start our business. And by chance or, you know, just, you know, it's sometimes it's our destiny, we came across an industry called MCA, Merchant Cash Advance. And look, I've advised a lot of small companies as a restructuring guy, turnaround consultant. I did practically deal and I wasn't in a big P shop, so I was doing investing in small businesses. I had never, and I went to business school, I never heard about this industry. I look at the industry, and it's an industry where, to make it short, it's, it's a very unique product. It's a small industry, $20 billion. Mm -hmm. you know, it's billion, but it's, it's small in, in, yep. in, in Wall Street parlance. What we do, we buy future revenues. So you're a small business, you need $100,000. If you go to your bank, they will give you like a, a colonoscopy before they give you, a, they give you a, a $100,000 and you will have to give your kidney and maybe your firstborn as guarantee. So forget mm -hmm. about that. Uh, maybe you have some credit card you can max out, but you know, at some point that, that's it. But there is this product where you say, you go to guys like us and you say, I'll say you my future revenue. Now, this revenue may not occur, right? As far as I know, maybe the guy will go bankrupt tomorrow. But he's willing to sell me his future revenue. And if I believe in his business model and his business, I can buy it at a huge discount. And the reason I'm saying a huge discount is because I'm taking a risk. So when you think about factoring, which is selling existing receivable, this business is very easy because you just have to underwrite the credit risk of the customer. Here, there is no, I don't know what are the future receivable. You know, you don't know. You know, you, so when you advance money to a restaurant, to a dentist, a doctor, I don't know what would be his future. And he doesn't know. But I take the risk with him. For that risk, I have to be rewarded. And the average transaction, uh, we advance money. We, so we buy, again, it's very important. It's not a loan. We buy future revenues. It's, it's a commercial transaction. Mm -hmm. And on average, we do gross return is 45% over six months. So if I give you $100,000, you have to give me back $145,000 over the next six months. If you do just simple math, it's like 90, 100% a year. So huge return, right? Now, default rate is huge also. Yep. And all in, you can make 25, 30% a year after all the default rate and the cost. What about now with, with COVID and all, did you, were you guys exposed or is the turn, the turns fast yeah. enough? You're not, no, yeah. so, so we obviously we're exposed, but the way we expose it, all the business we advance money, so they are closed. They are not in default. When they don't generate revenue, we can't take any money from them, right? We're buying 10% of their revenue. Right. But as soon as they reopen, we take revenue. So when I do a deal where I think that I will get paid over six months, now it will be eight months or nine months. So we, we still, it's still... Uh, and the merchants that do this, so the merchants that do this, it's almost like a payday loan for a company. <laughs> exactly. And so... It's like they need that we, cash. You give it to them with little, with very little... 20, very little due diligence. We don't do like a SWOT analysis. I don't care about their business plan and sort of things. Yeah. I advance them money for the next six months. Are they going to go bankrupt within the next six months? Or are they a fraud and they will run with my money? That's what I, I, I need to know. Right. And you have to do a lot of deals. You have to diversify, right? So since we started, we advanced money to uh, more than 3,200 businesses. Wow. Right? So a lot. We, we do five, six deals a day. Uh, and we do small tickets, right? And we we deploy like something like $65 million. Mm -hmm. But the reason I'm saying that is by finding this industry, we saw an industry that all the, some, you know, family offices, high net worth individual institution, they don't know about. When they look at it, they think it's, you know, they are thinking like even the mafia doesn't charge this rate. So like <laughs> it's, it's worse than loan sharks. So what are you guys doing? They realize that we can institutionalize that and that's what we're doing. So we set up, closed-end funds and we have fund administrator and fund auditor and you know my fund administrator had to learn about this industry my fund auditor had to learn about this, that industry uh, because all the people in that industry no one does it the way we do it they are more like you know street smart and 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 we we brought the institution uh, basics there mm -hmm. and by creating that we named them we, we made the name for ourselves and you know investors so you start raising money and investor, they like what you do. It's something different. 
yeah. high risk, high reward. But you know, it's like uh, I read that once in the financial so time. They call if it you're the, getting paid price. that fast back, if the terms are such that you're able to lend, a, so let's say the company's doing a million dollars in revenue a year on average, the last three years, mm-hmm. and you're lending them a hundred thousand dollars, you're expecting six months to get paid back one forty five. Theoretically, they should be able to fund that if the revenue. Well, yeah. or, I mean, what? theoretically, if they're pulling for that cash, do you ever look at? Are they? Do they need that cash because of a capital like expenditure? Yeah, it's always for working capital, right? So, exactly. so yeah. they, so the 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 put it this way. Let's say you're a restaurant, like right now, you're going to reopen. Okay, COVID is over. You you reopening. Okay, you need money to reopen, right? You need to buy raw materials. You need to buy food. You, you need to hire maybe like a company to clean the facility and disinfect. You need to buy some wipes and stuff. So you have for twenty, thirty thousand dollars of of working capital. Now, where are you going to find that money? You don't have that money. You know, you you wiped out. You were closed for two months. You need that money, and you need it like yesterday. Mm-hmm. So this is where we say, okay, we're going to give you thirty thousand dollars, and you're going to give us back forty-five thousand dollars of revenue, and we think it will take you. Based on what you did in the past, it would take you six months. Yes, it cost them $15,000. But the, the business, the way they look at it is their return on investment, it's pretty good. Yes, they pay 15 k but they know that they are back in business and they will repay it like very quickly because the revenue will come. So they need that money and no one else can provide that, that money. So that's, that's what we do. And that's like we really filling a gap in, in the credit market. Yeah. And Investor like it, merchant like it. Well, I've seen uh, it, yeah, pay, like it we PayPal, PayPal does the same thing. They're PayPal, always offering me loans. They're always trying to get me to take loans. <laughs> exactly. So PayPal is, yeah. is a big player. Square, yeah. Amex, uh, yeah. they are big players because uh, their you know, cost of acquisition is zero. They already know you. They, have, they see they the will, revenue trends. They, they're like, oh, this. Exactly. So for them, it's easy. So they will try to shove it in your, in your, in your throat and take this money, sometimes money that you don't need. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's so, but they're charging a lot. They're charging less from what I remember. I think it was like, from what I remember, it's like you can decide to pay it back between, you know, 30% of your revenue, 20% or 10% of your revenue, something like that back to them. And, you know, if you pay a more aggressive amount back to them, it, that the, I think the rate comes out to be like six, 7% or something like that over the life. Yeah. And it's, yes, this big firm look for them. It's not about making money on, on the advance. They don't care. Like yeah. it's how much they're going to make. 5K, no. 10K, yeah. 20K. It's not even a running error on, on, on American Express or PayPal balance sheet. Yeah. It's about keeping you as a customer. So mm. for them, it's, it's more like retention. marketing. They're, they're, retention. They are making money, but it's, it's, it's retention. just about that. Yeah. It's well, no, I mean, exactly. maybe about the, the, of the billions they have in, in uh, kind of in, in their balances. I mean, theoretically, if they're getting they turn that from, you know, whatever they're getting at the banks or their holding or their investments, their, their money market accounts of 1%, maybe getting that six or seven can move the needle. Couldn't yeah, it? They get half of it. If they get half of it deployed and it's billions of dollars, I don't know. It's a better <laughs> but, use of capital when they know there's like very low default risk. So. Yeah, that, that, that's for sure. And look, and they will know what the default risk, right? They will, they will know what, uh, what to expect with you because they see exactly your bank statement and they yeah. know they know they know where where, where you stand. Um, so so we did that, and when we started our firm, which is Yad Capital, the name of the firm, we said what we want to do is private credit, but we want to have different strategies. And cash advance is our first strategy, but then we will have different strategies mm. with different risk risk return okay. profile, and yeah. and 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 that's that's the idea. So then once after a year and a half, we said, okay, now let's go into real estate debt because this is something I know very well and, it, and it's so not easy, but I can source this and underwrite this and, and find money. But again, with the idea of, of doing uh, uh, a little bit risky, right? So not the senior loan at, at 6%, but doing mes or prep at 13, 14%, 15%. That's the type of, of, of loan we, we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we close the loan in two weeks that would be at 14, uh, 15%. Uh, so it's we, preferred, we, just in preferred, it's preferred, a preferred it's, equity. It's a mess. It's like yeah, a mess it's, piece of it's like a mess. It's, it's okay. on paper. It's practically, but it's, it's and it's non-cash pay pick at 15%. Uh, 
No, uh, it's 14% current uh-huh. uh, and 1% accrued. Uh, the okay. reason why we did it, it's investors, the, the 14% current is for the investor, the 1% accrued is for us. But the investor, in, what they want is cash on cash. cash that's cash. what people like. Cash on okay. cash, this is what, what, what they like. Um, and so that's our second strategy. And now we have, I start to work on the third strategy. Uh, I just hire an intern uh, from uh, uh, NYU Stern, MBA, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, th- this strategy, I had it in my mind for about a year. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to mature in your head. And, <laughs> perfect. and now I, I think I, I get it. So I told him like, listen, you, I don't have the time. I just don't have the time. So I want him to, I am guiding him and, 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 and do all the research and, and putting together the, 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 the way I see it is like, it's a sort internship. So I think like there are, there would be two phases. The first one, it's to do a business plan mm-hmm. for us, the managing partner of the firm, where I want you to pitch us the, 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 idea. the strategy, yeah. the idea, and I will try to destroy it. And I want you to pitch it to us to make sure that we have a good idea. And, and, and because it's something that would be, uh, uh, I don't want to talk too much about it right now, but it would be, uh, uh, not revolutionary, but unique, like the cash advance business, you know, something you, you need that it, yeah. it, it's, uh, it's not going on. And then once we have that, phase two, it's to put together a pitch book for investors. So like this, you know, once you're done in, with your summer internship, starting in September, I can go on the road and, and talk to, to investors. But that's what we want to do, having like different strategies. And, and when, you, uh, when you go through your career, you know, what I learned is, first, if you have plans, you know, you put it in the trash, right? It's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> put it, your plans just, in the trash. That's good lesson number in one. In the trash. <laughs> it's lesson number one. I have many lessons like this that learn, but that's lesson number one. It will never happen. And it's, and that's not bad. It's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, because what you may encounter are things that you would never uh, think about. And, and, and uh, you know, being in like, again, in industries or, or, or career that you, you wouldn't think that. So, so that's good. You have to be, but for that, you have to be open-minded, right? And uh, mm-hmm. if I had said at the beginning, you know, like, oh, no, practically real estate, I don't want to do that. I want to work only in a pure P shop or IBO shop, mm-hmm. where I still be in banking or maybe unemployed, who knows? You would have been uh, at Lehman uh, probably when it went under or whatever, yeah. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and then Barclays and then, you know, good knows where, where I would be. So you have to be, uh, you, you have to be a, uh, 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 open-minded and, and look at every, every, everything is an opportunity, you know, to meet new people, to learn. And it's your reputation is something that's very important. And, and, and it's, you know, now we have LinkedIn for the past 15 years and that's good because you create a network uh, and I strongly encourage people, you know, when they have like a LinkedIn profile, like in my profile, I may have like a thousand people on my network. But these are thousands that I really choose. Like every people that invites me, you know, without knowing me, I, I reject. It's like I want my network to be really meaningful, right? And 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 that that it means something. If I never talk to you or deal with you, like I don't want you to be in my network because it's it's BS. It's not the network. You know? I feel it's honored. Like, uh, I'm in your network. I'm in your network, so yeah. I feel good. <laughs> but you, it's 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 really. I get it. No, I, I get it's, it. It's, it's, yeah, it's important. So over your life, your career, you you start different. Hope I lost you there for a second. You sorry, back? sorry about that. No, it's okay. Yeah, I lost you just a, for a second. It was a, it was a call, and I. Uh, no worries. Can you see me? Okay. Yeah, I can see you now. Okay, and and so uh, 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 so it's you meet you meet a different uh, uh, you meet different people, uh, and that's that's very important because if you, in just in one line of work and one industry. Uh, you know, you, uh, your network is sort of limited, but in life, you never know. And you, you need to expand your network as, as, as much as possible. So be open-minded to everything that comes uh, towards you. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's funny that you say kind of be somewhat um, choosy on your network. I encourage a lot of the undergrads and everybody to aggressively network with almost anybody in any related industry they can just to learn. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit different advice. I think for somebody like yourself who probably came on LinkedIn as a more senior professional, once you were like mid-career, early career, 
you didn't want to be bothered by all these random people. <laughs> yeah. So and like so, you were you were yeah. curating a you were using LinkedIn almost to curate a a um, higher value network. So that it meant each connection meant something to you, and so you can use it that way, which I think has value because then you know, like every single person that's I'm connected to means something. Or you can use it, but as a student, I almost wouldn't. I wouldn't encourage students to do that. I wouldn't say, "Hey, I'm only going to talk to the partners," or "I'm only, you should be talking to everybody, other students." Yes. So don't yeah. get me wrong. So so yeah. so so we're clear. What I'm saying, no, you have to network. But what I'm saying is, if Sometimes a student like says, hey, I want to invite you. I want to be on your LinkedIn. Like, no, network, send me an email or like, let's talk. Let's have a discussion. Yeah. And then, you know, once we have this connection, then we yeah. can be on LinkedIn. Then it means something. But if you send just a blank invitation on LinkedIn, yeah. at least for people like me, I will reject it and you lost your chance to connect with me. Whereas, you know, I would connect. Like one thing I... I, I what if the connection is specific? But if they say, I saw you did this and specifically this, and I'm very interested in real estate debt and funded, and, they, and it's clear they've done their research. Yeah, but they, it's almost the same. They always say that. Oh, I see that you're in real estate. I see yeah. you're an investor in private equity. They always say that. Okay. But, but uh, when they make the effort, which is easy, right? My email is on, on my website. So you see my profile, you go on my website, you see the email. They, I even have, I think, my phone number. So yeah. don't do that. But if they wanted, they could, they could call or text or WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make the effort to, and then, then I will like, I've always take this rule because it worked for me and it's, it's important. You know, they, when I, when I was at, at Stern, uh, one of the uh, last person to talk to us was one of these billionaire, uh, uh, very successful and, and, and we used Stern alone. And he said, listen, in your life, you're going to go and you're going to have a career and you'll be successful with your diploma from MBA Stern. But don't forget who brought you to the dance floor. And don't forget that, you know, it started with NYU Stern and help, your, help the community and help the school. So when I have an NYU Stern person that calls me or email me, I always make the time. Always. Right? And That's I great. always, uh, we, we talk. I mean, I, it happened like uh, last Friday. 30-minute call with someone that, we got introduced by, by, by someone and she needed just career advice. She's an employee right now. She needs career advice. Like I've never met the person. We had 30 minutes. Yeah, I gave her like my blunt uh, uh, advice, but that's what it's about. So, and, and now we're connecting on LinkedIn, but that definitely uh, young analysts, they should do, they should reach out, but do it the right way, not the spam LinkedIn. I don't believe in that, but yeah. do it the right way. You find someone that, then send him like a nice email, follow up if you want with the call, uh, and find this connection, right? If it's just random, it's difficult. Uh, for okay. me, like if you, if you put the connection that it's with former Lehman Brother people or with former NYU Stern or for my French, you know, undergrad, uh, that will work. Because, uh, you know, you have to, uh, you know how they say, you know, when, once you're up, I'm not going to say on the top because I'm talking the top, but once you're up, you have to send the elevator back down. So you, you have to always make the time for others. It's very important. For sure. And you never I, know. I agree. No? I agree 100%. Anything, you want to, anything else you want to share with the listeners before we call it? I know I've, I've kept you for almost, I think, over an hour now. Anything oh, else? Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anything, it was fun. Anything else you want to share with the listeners before we kind of any other words of wisdom? I think you've had a lot of great advice. Yeah, look, it's, it's, if you want to uh, work in uh, private equity, first, you know, banking, it's, at the end of the day, it's a great industry. What I learned, it's, it wasn't for me, but it's, it's a great industry that uh, you deal with a lot of smart people. Uh, you see so many things. Um, and you, you know, you're literally in the news. Like, if you like to, uh, to read the, the paper, you, you're in the news. Uh, Practically, that was for me. I found it to be, uh, uh, or being on the buy side in general, being an investor, that was my calling, uh, where I wanted to take some risk in life. I didn't want to be just an agent, and I wanted to own my own mistake, and, and, and where there is like a huge potential. But there is a huge potential in banking, right? There are bankers that are making millions and millions and much more than any PE guy. Right. But uh, that was 
there is no, I don't think anymore there is like a right or wrong answer between investment banking and private equity. That was a mistake. It's Python and Cessna and just two different types of, of, of personality. Yeah. You have to find what suits you and you have to be, uh, you have to try to avoid listening to your friends, right? Because if you listen to your friends, it's all private equity is the right thing to do and that's it. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, right? Not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, Especially now, no. I feel like the pendulum has swung so far to private equity. It's like, you have to go banking private equity. There's actually a lot of opportunities if you stay in banking now because the banks exactly. just want to hold on to you so much. You can get promoted fast. You can get massive bonuses. I talked to a guy in his first four years or three, four years out of school, he was making like half a million dollars already. Like, and it's just insane. And it's because he was really good. He stayed longer than usual and just kept getting promoted in massive bonuses. And that's what I, I saw with all my friends staying to banking. It's, it's really like a, a last man standing uh, game where, you know, at the beginning, it's very crowded and you're like, you know, screw that. I'm going to go to private equity. And sometimes you get promoted by, but not by choice because you couldn't get into private equity. And so when you're in the middle of the pyramid, you're pissed off and you still want to go. But the more you wait, uh, the impossibility gets, right? It's very difficult to yeah. uh, in the middle of the pyramid. When you're at the top of the pyramid, then it's very easy. From If you're head of the group in an investment bank, you can go and become a partner in a PE shop, but that's at the top of the pyramid. But if you stay in the pyramid and you're at the top, then life is actually pretty good because you're making pretty decent money, yeah. high-profile job. You, know, you, you, you travel a lot, you manage people. It's like a small organization, so not that bad. Uh, but you have, to, you have to pay your dues, which are not easy because it's like we're talking seven, 10 years of, working hard, very, very hard, you know, all nighters and so forth, but it could be actually uh, pretty good. So people shouldn't desperate if they don't get the the right job, but if they want to get into private equity, they should leave no stones unturned. Literally, you don't know where it's going to come from. uh, And you have to say to the entire world that you're looking for a job and talk to as many people. And, you know, if it's for you, it, it it will happen. Awesome. Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.